Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. This morning we're continuing in our uh, study of being engaged or engaging people, loving people, interacting with people. Uh, When we think about engagement, we're thinking about the third step in our uh, vision statement. We, We believe we should be surrendered to God in our relationship with God. We should be connected with one another as a community together, pouring our lives into one another, sharing life together so that we grow. And then finally, proclaiming the word. That is sharing the good news, sharing the gospel with those around us. The good news is the truth of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he came into the world to do, and what he accomplished by his death and resurrection and his ascension into heaven. What we believe about Jesus is at the heart of the gospel. And we have been touched and transformed by Jesus. And if we have been touched and transformed by Jesus, every thirst, every need, every longing has been satisfied in him, have been found fulfilled in him. Not that we're perfect, we're still pursuing, we're still growing, but the fountain of everything we need comes from Jesus. Once we realize that, we know that it's important, it's imperative that we share the love of Jesus with those around us and those we meet. Therefore, as we follow the life of Christ and learn the truth of the gospel, we also learn from Jesus how we should share the good news. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at loving people in unexpected ways. But as we begin to think about this, I want to bring up a curious, a curious truth about us as people, how we behave as people in people groups. There seems to be, at times, division and animosity and accusation that goes towards one another, criticism towards one another. We live in a day where there is tons of criticism and accusation and animosity given towards one another. One of those places in politics, other of those places are such as uh, our, our living conditions, our, our racial lines, all of these things cause division and animosity. And there is attacks, attacks towards other people, towards one another. And when we begin to recognize this, we have to recognize that what's interesting about that, what's curious about that, is that people who are close to one another often spark the greatest animosity towards one another. We live in the same culture. We're Americans in our country. We have had the same history. We've gone through much of the same events. And when we're different from people in our culture, it's interesting that the the rancor, the difficulty, the energy, and the animosity ramps up so high. And it's interesting that 
if we meet someone from another culture or a, another uh, living situation that's really unfamiliar to us, it's pretty common to be kind of understanding and sympathetic, wanting to learn and be gracious. But when we're similar, when we're in the same location, from the same culture, differences create a great deal of animosity. All of us were onlookers to this kind of situation. When you think about Rwanda and Yugoslavia, at least for me, when I heard about Rwanda and I saw the Hutu and the Tutsis killing one another, I couldn't quite figure out what the difference was. Or in Yugoslavia, when it was the Bosniaks and the Serbs and the Croatians trying to annihilate one another. I couldn't quite figure that out either. Do you know one of the uh, hottest areas in the world is uh, in the Muslim communities where you have Sunni and Shiite. They can't stand each other. So part of it is it's curious that we as outsiders, when we're quite a ways removed from the people that are uh, are having difficulty, we're not so bothered, we're not so angered, we're not so stirred up by the differences. But if you're in the community, if you're in the culture, if your history's the same, your setting's the same, then differences really come to the fore. I'm, I'm surprised and heartbroken when I hear that I've heard people who are commentators on radio programs or whatever who take uh, difficult positions, talk about difficult situations in our culture, and then to hear the amount of animosity and hatred that they receive because they are trying to talk about a difficult situation. And what's most concerning to me is that Christians are a part of that dialogue. And I think, well, what's going on? And why are we as Christians characterized that way in our culture? One of the reasons is that when we're similar, when we're close, it sparks greater animosity. And I'm here to say that we should rethink that. One of the challenges for us in our culture is that we have a culture that came from a a, a Judeo-Christian ethic in in large part and that a lot of those ideas are changing and shifting. And sometimes Christian authors or preachers talk about, well, we should be thinking about the fact that... uh, the Jews were translated, picked up out of their land and brought into Babylon. If we were to look at the Bible and find a story that kind of helps us in this situation, think of the Jews being placed in Babylon. Remember, they were foreigners, they were pilgrims, there was no real expectation or understanding that the Babylonians would show regard or respect towards their religion. They had to hunker down and they were and definite, definitely foreigners. But that's really not our picture. Our picture is that we're more similar to everybody here. I would say that a better picture is the animosity between the Jewish people in Judea and the Samaritans. 
The Samaritans were uh, a people group who lived to the north of Judah. They lived there and they are kind of called the ten tribes to the north. The Assyrians took them over in 722 BC, but then they repopulated that area and they sent the Jews back there, but they also sent people from all different lands back there and they intermarried and everything, but those people still were religious. They still held to some of the same history, the same tradition, the same culture as the Judean people, the Jews to the north, to the south, but they were different. And there's that same culture, same background, and greater animosity. And so the Jews around Jerusalem and Judea, they thought of the Samaritans as half-breeds. They degraded them as much as they could. They didn't, they thought even having contact or conversation with a Samaritan would make you unclean. And sometimes I think for us, in our day, in our world, we have to learn some lessons from this situation. And we have to first, priority number one, follow the the example of Jesus. And there's a very similar situation. The Jews and the Samaritans. The animosity. But what did Jesus do in that setting? So let's turn our attention to John chapter 4. I want to read. It's a fairly uh, big section, but I want to read this account. Uh, This account, uh, we won't be able to cover everything that we should grab from this the story. It's one of the richest stories in the life of Jesus that kind of gives us instruction about how to engage with people, people who are different from us, people who are around us, and people who need to hear the good news of the gospel, people whom we need to love. And so as we read this, uh, uh, we'll look at some ideas, but I hope that you uh, read it again and again and ponder this great text. John chapter 4, I'm going to read 1 through 26. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So he's leaving Judea and going to Galilee. And here's the situation. Judea is down here to the south where Jerusalem is. Then there's Samaria, and then there's Galilee. Almost in a straight line. So Jesus left Judea and is going to Galilee, and Samaria is in between. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and a Samaritan, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Parentheses, for Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, 
You have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself and as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come, uh, keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you, are now, uh, you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. This is a a powerful passage of scripture because we are brought into the dialogue of Jesus with someone who's an unbeliever. uh, Someone who were surprised that Jesus is entering into a conversation with. And I've entitled the sermon, Sharing uh, Loving People in Unexpected Ways. And what we see here is Jesus loving this woman in unexpected ways. And so we gain some important instruction as we follow the life of Jesus in how we are to love people. How we are to point to Jesus through our lives. So let's think about that. And I have three points I'd like for us to recognize. First, reject conventions of our culture. The story of Jesus' interaction with the Samaritan woman broke all the the conventions, the cultural expectations of the day. Jesus showed us that there's something more important in our loving people and our interactions with people than the conventions and expectations of the day. This is one of those places where I think we oftentimes get caught up in the culture around us. There is something more important in our communication and conversation with people around us than what political party, what kind of persuasions you are. There is the need to Walk past those conventions and enter into people's lives. First, we should begin noticing that Jesus broke the convention of going through Samaria. 
So back in verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. That's not, not, not exactly the truth. What this is telling us is that Jesus determined to go through Samaria. He made it his plan and his intention. But the usual course of events, Jews leaving Judea, and then Samaria, and then Galilee. When they're going to Galilee, Jews leaving Judea would travel west, then travel north and then travel east to get into Galilee so that they would not have to walk through Samaria because walking through Samaria or having any interaction with Samarians or having any kind of bartering, purchasing is going to make you unclean. They were half-breeds. And there was hatred and animosity towards them. But Jesus broke those conventions and intentionally went into Samaria. Intentionally went there to to have a conversation with a Samaritan woman. So one of the things that we must learn from Jesus is that we must be willing to break those kinds of conventional boundaries. Next, we note that Jesus has a conversation with the woman. And here, she even recognizes it herself in verse 9, when Jesus asks her for a drink of water, the Samaritan woman says, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you talking to me? How is it that you ask of me anything? Jesus breaks the conventions because it was conventional wisdom that you don't talk to a woman, first of all, at the well, and specifically, you don't talk to a Samaritan. But here, Jesus ignores all those things. Why? Because there's something more important than those conventions. Add to this, if you look a little later in the passage, when Jesus has this discussion, and, and I think what's so marvelous about this discussion is that Jesus is kind of demonstrating that he wants to get to the heart of the person. He wants to know the person. And, and Jesus has some expertise, maybe better than we do. But if we will be students of the people around us, we can learn how to talk into people's lives and Jesus models that for us. But Jesus says, has this discussion about her husband. Go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, yeah, you're right. You've had five husbands and now the man you're with is not your husband. And what does she do? She realizes that this conversation is kind of getting personal. Maybe we should talk about some religious debates. Well, you people say, you know, uh, that we should rent, uh, worship in Jerusalem and we, the Samaritans, say we worship on Mount Gerizim. Eh? What do you think about that? Let's, let's talk about something a little more generic. And Jesus continues to show that what he wants to communicate to her is more important than these conventional debates. He wants to bypass those things and go to the heart. And he says some wonderful things about worship. He says, uh, just so you know, there's coming a day when worshiping in Jerusalem or worshiping at Mount Gerizim will be a moot point. It will mean nothing. Because Jesus himself 
is bringing in a new day of worship and a worship that will be in spirit and in truth. That means engendered and energized by the Spirit of God and according to the truth of Jesus Christ. And that's what will be essential. Not your location, not your mountain, not your city. But is it engendered by the Spirit and is it according to the truth that Jesus is bringing? These are more important things than the conventional arguments. We as believers who are following Jesus must be able to make a difference and understand what's essential and what's not. And we as believers, believing in Jesus, must know that what He is, who He is, what we communicate about Him is super important. It is the message of the gospel. And don't let these things, conventions, stop us or hinder us. Second, we must make contact with people through human needs. The encounter of Jesus and the woman at the well tells us about how to make contact with people, how to connect with people. We are human beings. We all have needs. We all have desires. And Jesus was thirsty. The woman came to the well because she was thirsty, because she needed water. Jesus was willing to see that his thirst and her need for water was a commonality. It was a way to connect with her. And when we think about our human interactions, when we think about the people that we meet, we must realize that God has given us human characteristics. We're human beings. Therefore, just like every human being in the world, we have needs for food, for water, for clothing, for shelter. That's why Jesus would often tie deep spiritual truths to the basics of life. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. So what we see here is that Jesus makes connection with people. He doesn't make separation. He doesn't stand away from people. He enters into their world. And he does it with these kind of basic physical needs. But also beyond that, we can make connection with people according to more spiritual needs or personality needs, such as a need for love, a need for respect, a need for dignity, a need for honor. Drawing water from the well was such a big part of the Samaritan woman's life, and Jesus had the need for water, that it brought about a connection. And for us, we might not be going to a well, and we might not be needing to draw water, but there are needs and connections we can make with people. And we should intentionally look for God to open those opportunities, those doors for us to make connection with people. I think of uh, Matt Thiessen who came here and was talking about how they're using the Jesus movie in uh, Campus Crew uh, around the world. 
And what, what were they doing? It's very similar to this story in John chapter 4. They would go to remote places and remote uh, tribes and they had the movie translated into a language that they could speak and then they would send in people who could dig wells. And they were drinking in the villages and the tribes dirty water that they were getting from the local river that had all kinds of stuff in it. And they would send in these people and they would dig a well and make fresh, clean water for the whole city. And then they would invite them all to come and watch the movie uh, telling the story of Jesus. It's a perfect illustration of what kind of connection with needs that we as people of the gospel should be doing. Now we might not run into people that don't have clean water. And that's why I mentioned maybe the other kinds of needs, love and dignity and honor and respect. We can connect with people on those ways and in those areas of life. There is a a story that I like to tell you, and if I could tell it quickly, I'll try to tell it quickly. It's a story that Tony Campolo tells about an experience that he had in his life. He went to a conference in Hawaii, and because of jet lag, he couldn't sleep. And so at 2, two o'clock in the morning, at 2.30, he went and was walking around the town looking for a place to get some food because he was kind of hungry, he was wide awake. He goes into this uh, donut shop. Well, they, don't ha- they close off all the booths, so all they have is a counter, a counter with nine stools on it. No one else is in there, so he sits down. It's kind of a greasy spoon thing, you know, and he's kind of wondering what kind of food he's going to get, what kind of coffee he's going to get. The guy comes out and gives him a donut and coffee. And he's sitting there maybe ten minutes, and all of a sudden, a whole group of ladies, prostitutes, come in. And they're coming in to get donuts and coffee, and there's just the booths. And he's sitting there, and they all line up right next to him. Uh, at the booth, at the counter. He was kind of thinking, well, no, I should probably try to get out of here. I don't know what's going on. Uh, and so then right next to him is this one lady, and she says, hey, you know what? Tomorrow is my birthday. I'm going to be 39 years old. The lady on the other side of Tony says, so what do you want us to do? Throw you a birthday party, get you some presents, get a cake, and sing happy birthday to you? She says, no, I'm not saying that. I was just saying that it's my birthday. I've never had a birthday party. And I was just mentioning it. And so they went on and carried on a conversation and finally left. But Tony was thinking, here's this lady, 39 years old, never had a birthday party. I wonder if we could do something for her. So he got the harebrained idea. He went and talked to the shop owner, and the shop owner said, oh, yeah, those women come in, and Agnes, she's the one who said it's her birthday tomorrow, and she's one of the nicest ladies, and, and uh, yeah, we, we think throwing a birthday party for her is a spectacular idea. And Tony said, well, uh, they come in here every night about this time. I'll come in tomorrow evening, 2 o'clock in the morning. We're going to decorate this place with streamers and signs. And we're going to make a, I'll bring a birthday cake. And the guy said, no, I'm making the birthday cake. That's my field. And so they made plans for the next day. And all of a sudden, all kinds of people, uh, prostitutes, heard about it. And they filled the, the donut shop with people all waiting for the time that those ladies would come in and Agnes would come in. 
And she came in and they all broke into singing happy birthday. She was stunned. And she went to the counter and the, 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 the shop owner brought this big cake and put it in front of her. And she just started to cry. And the shop owner was like, oh, come on, Agnes, pull together, cut the cake, we're ready to eat. And she looked at that cake and she said, can I take this cake? I want to go show my mom. She said, my mom just lives two blocks away. I'll, I'll take the cake and I'll be right back. And so Tony said, well, it's your cake. It's your birthday. You can do what you want. Take the cake. And so sure enough, she took the cake and left. And they're all standing at a place that's packed. Now, well, what do we do? And Tony said, let's pray. And Tony had them all bow their heads. And he prayed for Agnes. He prayed for her life and for the brokenness in her life and the disappointments and how she's gotten trapped and how he prays that the gospel would touch her life. It was an amazing event. But what Tony did was that he saw that everyone needs love and respect and honor. And just as Jesus respected and loved and honored the Samaritan woman at the well, Tony, in that moment, took the opportunity to honor and respect someone who was unrespectable. And so I think making contact with people does not come in the way that we want it to happen. Making contact comes by stepping out of our conventions and seeing the needs of people around us and stepping into their world. Why? Because there's something important for us to share. There's something important for us to demonstrate. The love of God and the grace of God and the truth of Jesus. That brings us to my last point, third point. Keep the content of our love and our message focused on Jesus. As we see this story unfold, we realize that Jesus honored this woman. He made connection with this woman. He wanted to hear from this woman. He also wanted to tell her about who he was. She was thirsty. Not thirsty just for water. She was thirsty for life. And the people that are around us that we meet, the reason that we called out to Jesus and the reason that Jesus came and rescued us is because we're thirsty. And we must want to see people find living water. And Jesus promises that if you'll come to Him, he will give you water, living water. You'll never thirst again. And it will become springs of living water that well up to eternal life. That's what He does when we come and recognize who He is. Listen to verse 25 and 26. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. So this is another little diversion, actually, by the woman. Jesus had given her an explanation of where to worship and that 
Mangarizim and Jerusalem are mute points. It's really about worship inspired by the Spirit according to the truth of Jesus. And then she's kind of deferring a little bit, saying, well, well, you got some good ideas. That's nice to hear. But, you know, I know that the Messiah is coming one day. He's coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And that profound statement in verse 26. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. When we share Jesus... We are sharing the truth of the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And isn't it interesting that as you read the rest of this story, she becomes an evangelist. She goes to the city to tell them that she thinks that she's found the one they've been expecting. And the city comes out and finds out it is true. He is the Savior. All the while, the disciples are standing on the sidelines arguing about if he should be talking to this woman and is Jesus hungry? I love verse 42. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. We must keep, in all of our loving and in all of our relationships, we must keep the truth that Jesus is the focus of what we do. Don't get distracted. Maintain fidelity to the truth that Jesus is the living water. The gospel is powerful. We don't need to hide it in fear. For it will change the hearts of rejectors. We don't need to live in isolation because the gospel will expand our family. And what a joy that is. And we don't need to live live in defeat because our Savior has overcome the world. Therefore, let us engage with those around us in unexpected ways by rejecting conventions making connections through the needs of us as people and keeping the content of our love and our message focused on Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this encounter that teaches us so much about the truth of the gospel and who you are and how you offer life and real life to us as broken people, needy people, to the people we know who are broken and needy. Lord, you come as the Savior of the world. You come to offer life, and you offer that life through us, your people, who have been changed and made new by your grace. Lord, our prayer is that we would be engaged in this awesome ministry. In Jesus' name. Amen.